my Gavanin, and Srilide to my elf friends and all of the beloved ones. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do on this fair Wednesday morning, February 10th, 2016. So, quite an interesting day, at least for the elf. It is Ash Wednesday, so entering into the season of Lent for those who are Catholic and of Orthodox Christian faith. And I think even some Protestants celebrate that time. Sunday is Valentine's Day, so we are in February, the month of love, and also the season of love, and Valentine's Day, of course, elicits all kinds of different <laughs> responses. Uh, last night on a television show, it was referred to as the most commercial holiday that we celebrate. And this might be true. I think it came about only because of Hallmark <laughs> and now well supported by A Kiss Begins with K. But aside from the flowers and candy and jewelry and dinners out, it is a celebration of love. And Valentine's Day generally, most specifically, a celebration of romantic love. But I believe that it can be a celebrate, celebration of all kinds of love. Love from our friends, from our family, from uh, the earth, from the creatures. Right now, I'm feeling a great deal of love in my little neighborhood in Newport Beach because in February, all oh, the birds start singing. I think they must be calling to each other. Those who are coming of age and haven't found a loved one yet are seeking for a mate to make a little nest with. But at any rate, they're making beautiful songs outside my window up in the trees. So to me, it's just um, another way of experiencing the love of the month of love. So this is What Would Arwen Do, in case you are just tuning in for the first time. This is the show where we celebrate, I celebrate, all things, not all things, but many things of Middle Earth, and where I ask the question, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth? its beauty, resources, and creatures, all things that I think elves have always been concerned with. And the music you heard at the beginning of the program was the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore from the Academy Award-winning movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. So if you tune in here on Wednesday mornings, you can count on a couple of things. A day, a weekly dose of Middle Earth music, and a reminder that you are the beloved ones of God. So, yes, sorry, but that's that's my mission. <laughs> that's my commission. And, uh, and most of the time, a delightful one it is. Not that the elf lives in a little bubble of everything's wonderful and, and life is beautiful all the time. No, no. Um, I go through challenges in life, just like everyone. And one of the things that I appreciate about the elves is the 
concept of immortality and grasping as a human, as a, as a half-mortal human living today, how do I grasp this concept of immortality, especially in the midst, midst of such a temporal world, so full of gadgets and beautiful things, but uh, gadgets and toys and <clears throat> lots of busyness that occupies our minds. So today, with it being Ash Wednesday, and also the uh, Wednesday before St. Valentine's Day, it's coming up this coming Sunday, um, I wanted to share a little bit about the concept of love from the perspective of J.R.R. Tolkien. And <clears throat> I think quite often, oh, a couple of things, if you are are tuning in for the first time and You'd like to catch any of the past shows. Uh, most of my shows are up on podcast, as are most of the uh, public affairs shows here at KUCI. So if you go to our homepage at KUCI.org, go to archives, scroll down to podcasts, look for your favorite show. Maybe it's um, Writers on Writing, Weekly Signals. We have a show about gardening. We have a show about real people of the OC right here in Orange County. Lots of amazing public affairs shows. It's like a it's like an education just in itself, as well as our amazing music shows. And we are on the air twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, streaming live through our website at KUCI.org. And you can also catch us through iTunes. Or if you happen to be close enough, you can catch us on the airwaves at 88.9 FM. And if you'd like to contact me, I would love, love, love to hear from you. You can send me a little missive email message at askanelf, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F, askanelf at yahoo.com. So with that... I want to get into our show topic today. So as I mentioned, um, well, a couple of things <clears throat> about Ash Wednesday. This is, if you've been journeying with me for a time, you know that last year, about this time, I was going through the process of becoming a Catholic Christian. Now, I've been Christian in love with Jesus for 30-something years. I've had some dark nights of the soul, and sometimes that shook my faith not my love in Jesus so much, but definitely my love of people that call themselves believers. And um, part of that actually w was really happening right after 9-11. And if you remember, 9-11 was in 2001. Fellowship of the Ring came out in December of 2001. I didn't discover it until March of 2002. But... I was struggling at the time, right after 9-11, with this whole concept of going to war uh, and the issue of oil and retaliation. And, I'm, and I was hearing a lot of the support for this coming from the Christian community, and I was thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't seem to jive. So in the midst of all that, uh, where I was asking, what is a what does a good Christian even look like? What what do they really believe and look like? And that's when I discovered the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. And up there on the big screen was Arwen, who was had come to rescue Frodo and take him to the uh, to Rivendell, fight off the Nazgul. 
um, her love story with Aragorn, and I was like hooked. And I looked into the mythology that J.R.R. Tolkien, we say created, he says discovered, but the mythology that he created for England in Middle-earth, and I uh, found these elves who were a metaphor for the best and noblest in humans. And I thought, well, I don't know how to be a good Christian, perhaps, but maybe I know how to be a good elf. And thus began the grand adventure that has now been going on these 12-something years, and why I'm here on the air sharing with you. So, what I discovered in this world as well, and people say, oh, well, it's just an escape. Well, yes, but I was thinking about this this morning, and I thought, well, who doesn't need an escape sometimes, especially from the cares and the toils of this world? So, Middle Earth is one of my main escapes, just because it's such a lovely place to visit. So, but it is also full of not only the story of the ring and Frodo and Sam and the quest, that is the main theme and story of the Lord of the Rings, but there's also love stories woven in and stories about friendship and courage and um, and love. And in fact, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien talked about this a little bit in one of his letters. And so today we're going to hear a bit from a couple of the major love stories in the uh, Lord of the Rings histories and in the Lord of the Rings. So how does this tie to Ash Wednesday? Well, for me, a lot of times people think of, you know, giving up something for Lent in order to identify with Jesus, uh, Jesus's 40 days in the desert and of being deprived of food and water and all of this. Well, and that that can be a very fruitful <clears throat> endeavor for me. <clears throat> I like to think of um, the story of Jesus going to the cross as the greatest love story that ever was. And so it's there is his passion and pain, but there's also um, the glory of what he was accomplishing for us. So to me, it is a season of love. And this year I've chosen to use the springboard of something that I would give up for Lent as just a daily or however many times a day that I encounter that, say if I'm giving up uh, dairy or say if I'm giving up meat, or which I'm a vegetarian, so I don't have to think about that, but or giving up chocolate or chips or something. Each time I would normally have something like that, I can remember the greatest love story and that God God desires to be reconciled to us and to reconcile us to himself because we are the beloved ones. So that's kind of what this season of Lent is for me. Yes, um, uh, going over the passion of uh, the cross, but also that it was all because of the love. Because if Remember our Bible verses. God said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it wasn't that he was angry with us, <laughs> but that he loved us. So love stories. I mean, we're coming up to Valentine's Day in um, this wonderful book. If you're interested in in even more delving into kind of the back story of Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and all those fun things, you might 
want to think about getting the book, The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. So this gives you a glimpse not only more deeply into the world of Middle Earth that J.R.R. Tolkien brought to us, but it also gives you a glimpse into the heart of this amazing man. And also of his son, because it was um, well, it was edited by Humphrey Carpenter with the assistance of his son, Christopher Tolkien, through whom, were it not for his uh, great toiling all of these years, we would not have in print the Silmarillion or the, um, I think it's 13 volumes of the history of Middle Earth. So... There is a wonderful letter. This is actually a letter that in part is included in most of the public, the um, uh, print versions of the Silmarillion, which is the history of the Silmarils, the history of actually of all of Middle Earth and especially of the elves. And But there was a letter that J.R. Tolkien wrote late in 1951. And it says that under pressure from Tolkien... Um, to Ellen and Ellen and Unwin uh, to make up their minds, had reluctant. They had reluctantly declined to publish the Lord of the Rings together with the Silmarillion. Tolkien was confident that Milton Waldman of Collins would shortly issue both books under his, his firm's imprint. In the spring of 1950, Waldman told Tolkien that he hoped to begin typesetting the following autumn. I'm reading from the book here. But there were delays largely called by, caused by Waldman's frequent absences and his ill health. By the latter part of 1951, no definite arrangements for publication had yet been made, and Collins were becoming anxious about the combined length of both books. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the Lord of the Rings is really long. Silmarillion isn't quite as long, but you have to consider that that has been way, way edited down and uh, from the 13 volumes that make the his, up the history of Middle-earth. So it says, It was apparently at Waldman's suggestion that Tolkien wrote the following letter, of which the full text is some 10,000 words long, almost a book in itself, with the intention of demonstrating that the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion were interdependent and indivisible. Um, it says the letter which... Uh, interested Waldman so much that he had a typed copy made, yay, that's why we have it, is not dated but was probably written late in 1951. And uh, J.R. Tolkien starts it with, My dear Milton, you asked for a brief sketch of my stuff that is connected with my imaginary world. It is difficult to say anything without saying too much. The attempt to say a few words opens a floodgate of excitement. The egoist and artist at once desires to say how the stuff has grown, what it is like, and what he thinks he means or is trying to represent by it all. I shall inflict some of this on you, but I will append a mere resume of its contents, which is, maybe, all that you want or will have use or time for. So again, this um, brief sketch was um, some 10,000 words long. But... Tolkien was a writer. So I want to skip through here. So since we're focusing on the love stories today of this world of Middle-earth, I wanted to share a little bit about two of the major love stories. And they, they are very much connected. One is of Aragorn and Arwen, which we see in The Lord of the Rings and is touched on. 
and is expanded greatly by Peter Jackson in the movies, which, for which I am very grateful. I am one of those people who loves the movies just about as much as the books. And uh, although such a great debt to J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, so that's Aragorn and Arwen, but they also um, hearken back to their stories interwoven with the tale of Beren and Luthien, the first t- uh, wedding of mortal and immortal. So I'm going to read a little bit here from the letter. It says, um, mm, let's see. Oh, I think this is not, this is about his intention. Okay, I have this, I have it here, yes. Okay, the chief stories of the Silmarillion and the one most fully treated is the story of Berin and Luthien, the elf maiden. Here we meet, among other things, the first example of the motive, quote, to become dominant in hobbits, that the great policies of world history, the, quote, wheels of the world, are often turned not by the lords and governors, even gods, but by the seemingly unknown and weak, owing to the secret life in creation, and the part unknowable to all wisdom but one, that resides in the intrusions of the children of God into the, into the drama. It is Berin, the outlawed mortal, who succeeds with the help of Luthien, a mere maiden, even if an elf of royalty, where all the armies and warriors have failed. He penetrates the stronghold of the enemy and wrests one of the Silmarilli from the Iron Crown. Thus he wins the hand of Luthien, and the first marriage of mortal and immortal is achieved. So we're going to hear, I hope, a little bit today from the tale of Luthien and Beren from the Silmarillion. But first, we're going, well, we're going to jump a bit to the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. And that we know from the movie is a high love story, one of my favorite parts of The Lord of the Rings is in The Return of the King, where, of course, finally after the War of the Ring, Aragorn is crowned King Elessar, and then um, Arwen makes the long trek from Rivendell with her father, giving his blessing to their wedding. And, yes, yes, I cried big tears (laughs) during that part, of the movie, which I got to see with about 1,200 very diehard uh, Lord of the Rings fans when we all gathered in Toronto. It was called The Gathering for the opening of The Return of the King. Sat in a theater, watched all three movies, the first two, the extended versions, back-to-back, and then seeing The Return of the King. And we all loved every minute of it. So I'm going to talk about, though, a little bit here. It goes on to say, in this same letter, written in 1951, he says, But the highest love story, that of Aragorn and Arwind, Elrond's daughter, is only alluded to as a known thing. He's talking about in The Lord of the Rings. I think it is told elsewhere in a short tale of Aragorn and Arwen and Domeo, which is an appendix at the end of the book. 
I think the simple rustic love in Sam and Rosie, and his Rosie, nowhere elaborated, is absolutely essential to the study of his, the chief hero's, character, and to the theme of the relation of ordinary life, breathing, eating, working, begetting, and quests, sacrifice, causes, and the longing for elves and sheer beauty. So we have another love story, that of Rosie and Sam. And I find it interesting here that J.R.R. Tolkien himself refers to uh, Sam as the chief hero's character. So he considers Sam the chief hero of the Lord of the Rings, not necessarily Frodo. Of course, Frodo is in very high esteem, but he considers Sam to be the chief hero of the Lord of the Rings. And I very much appreciated um, Sam Ganji. Uh, Sean Astin was amazing, and I really was hoping in The Two Towers, and even actually in Return of the King, that he might have gotten um, nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But he didn't. But in my in my little world, he was. And, I mean, who cannot be moved by the scene where Sam says to Frodo as they're finally trying to get close to um, the fire to cast the ring into the fire and Frodo stumbles and falls and Sam says, I, you know, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And he picks Frodo up and throws him over his shoulder and stumbles with him on up the hill. Yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful in the books, but to actually see it brought to life on the big screen was truly amazing. So with that, I'm going to play a bit of a love story for you, read by J.R.R. Tolkien himself. This is from the um, J.R.R. Tolkien audio collection. And I love this. Mine is, is well, well worn. In fact, I was very fortunate enough to get a second copy at my favorite bookstore, Little Plug for the Newport Beach, Friends of the Library Bookstore at the main library. And um, so it has readings in here from J.R.R. Tolkien and also some fra- by his son, Christopher Tolkien. But on CD1, it has a reading from The Hobbit, and then it has a reading from The Fellowship of the Ring, book one. And we're going to hear from chapter 12, Flight to the... F- no, I'm sorry. Chapter 11, A Knife in the Dark, The Song of Beren and Luthien. And so the context of that is that they are up on, I believe they're up on Weathertop here, and it's a pretty scary, scary time. And the hobbits are there, and Strider is there, and standing upon the, the rim of the ruined circle. Oh, no, that's, that's a little too far back. I can't go that far back. Ah, of course, Strider, and the theme of hope. I was too careless on the hilltop, answered Strider. I was very anxious to find some sign of Gandalf, 
but it was a mistake for three of us to go up and stand there so long, for the black horses can see and the riders can use men and other creatures as spies, as we found at Bree. They themselves do not see the world of light as we do, but our shapes cast shadows in their minds, which only the noon sun destroys, and in the dark they perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us. Then they are most to be feared, and at all times they smell the blood of living things, desiring and hating it. Senses, too, there are other than sight or smell. We can feel their presence. It it troubled our hearts as soon as we came here, and before we saw them, they feel ours more keenly. Also, he added, and his voice sank to a whisper, the ring draws them. Is there no escape then, said Frodo, looking round wildly. If I move, I shall be seen and hunted. If I stay, I shall draw them to me. Strider laid his hand on his shoulder. There is still hope, he said. You are not alone. Let us take this wood that is set ready for the fire as a sign. There is little shelter or defense here, but fire shall serve for both. Sauron can put fire to his evil uses, as he can all things, but these riders do not love it, and fear those who wield it. Fire is our friend in the darkness. Maybe, muttered Sam, it is also as good a way of saying, here we are, as I can think of, bar shouting. Down in the lowest and most sheltered corner of the dell they lit a fire and prepared a meal. The shades of evening began to fall, and it grew cold. They were suddenly aware of great hunger, for they had not eaten anything since breakfast. But they dared not make more than a frugal supper. The lands ahead were empty of all save birds and beasts, unfriendly places deserted by all the races of the world. Rangers passed at times beyond the hills, but they were few and did not stay. Other wanderers were rare and of evil sort. Trolls might stray down at times out of the northern valleys of the Misty Mountains. Only on the road would travelers be found, most often dwarves, hurrying along on business of their own and with no help and a few words to spare for strangers. And so they have a little bit of conversation, and um, then they are asking about some tales to kind of distract them. So if you are tuning into the podcast, uh, the copyrighted material of the audio version of J.R. Tolkien reading from the Lord of the Rings will be edited out, but you can find all of this in the Lord of the Rings, A Knife in the Dark, and also in the J.R.R. Tolkien audio collection. And it says, um, so <clears throat> Mary was asking of, uh, tell us of Gilgalad, said Mary suddenly when he paused at the end of the story of the Elf Kingdoms. Do you know any more of that old lay that you spoke of? I do indeed, answered Strider. So also does Frodo, for it concerns us closely. Mary and Pippin looked at Frodo, who was staring into the fire. I know only the little that Gandalf has told me, said Frodo slowly. Gilgalad was the last of the great elf kings of Middle-earth. Gilgalad is starlight in their tongue. With Elendil, the elf friend, he went to the land of... No, said Strider, interrupting. I do not think that tale should be told now with the servants of the enemy at hand. If we win through to the house of Elrond, you may hear it there, told in full. 
Then tell us some other tale of the old days, begged Sam, a tale about the elves before the fading time. I would dearly like to hear more about elves. The dark seems to press so around so close. I will tell you the tale of Tenuviel, said Strider, in brief, for it is a long tale of which the end is not known. And there are none now, except Elrond, that remember it of right as it was told of old. It is a fair tale, though it is sad, as we are, as are all the tales of Middle-earth. And yet it may lift up your hearts. He was silent for some time, and then he began not to speak, but to chant softly. And so with that, we'll take up again, and you'll hear a little bit of that last paragraph from J.R.R. Tolkien as we hear the professor himself reading from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. I will tell you the tale of Tinuviel, said Strider. In brief, for it is a long tale of which the end is not known. And there are none now except Elrond that remember it aright as it was told of old. He was silent for some time, and then he began not to speak, but to chant softly. We heard the tale of Perrin and Luthien, and celebration of the month of love and Valentine's Day, and the beautiful love stories that we love, or at least that I love. Today we're um, taking a little... Walk down memory lane with Elrond, not Elrond, Arwen and Aragorn and Beren and Luthien. So, of course, the tale of Beren and Luthien harkens way back in Middle-earth before any of the things um, had happened. Um, probably way before uh, the hobbits were in the Shire. <clears throat> if we remember Gildor and Glorian, who is... Uh, who Frodo and company met on the road. Whoops, my little book here is falling apart and falling all over. Um, And he talks about, uh, Frodo says something about his shire. (laughs) And let's see if I have, I should have it marked here because I love, that is one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite passages. Uh, I am Gildor and Glorian. And, um, Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Frodo says, I cannot imagine what what information could be more terrifying than your hints and warnings, exclaimed Frodo. I knew that danger lay ahead, of course, but I did not expect to meet it in our own shire. Can a hobbit walk from the water to the river in peace? But it is not your own shire, said Gildor. Others dwelt here before hobbits were, and others will dwell here again when hobbits are no more. The wild world is all around you. You can fence yourself in, but you cannot fence it out forever. And uh, so he's been, Gildor had been around probably for a couple of thousand years by that time. And so we heard the tale of Luthien and Berin, the first marriage of mortal and immortal. And from their line came Aragorn and Arwen, actually, because in their line was Elrond and Elros. Elros, they were twins and were given, because they were half-elf and half-mortal, um, they were given the choice whether they would belong to the race of elves or the race of men. Elrond chose to belong to the race of elves, 
Elros chose to belong to the race of men, and from him came all the Numenorean kings and the Edine, and so, um, no, all the Numenorean kings. And Aragorn was along descended from that line. So when Arwen says, we are kin from afar, this is what she is referring to, although he may not know that completely. <clears throat> so I'm going to read a little bit from their love story. It says, but when, um, so Aragorn has gone to live with Elrond, and he's known by the name of Estelle, but um, Elrond at some point, at, at when he's 20 years old, gives him the uh, heirlooms of his house and tells him who he is, the, um, you know, the heir of um, a sealed door. And so, uh, let's see, do, 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 and he, so Elrond says to him, here's the ring of Barahir, he said, and the token of our kinship from afar, and here also are the shards of Narsil. Narsil, with these you may yet do great deeds, for I foretell that the span of your life shall be greater than the measure of men, unless evil befalls you or you fail at the test. But the test will be hard and long. The scepter of Anuminus I withhold, for you have yet to earn it. The next day at the hour of sunset, Aragorn walked alone in the woods, and his heart was high within him, and he sang, for he was full of hope and the world was fair. And suddenly, even as he sang, he saw a maiden walking on a greensward among the white stems of the birches, and he halted, amazed, thinking that he had strayed into a dream, or else that he had received the gift of the elf minstrels, who can make the things of which they sing appear before the eyes of those that listen. For Aragorn had been singing a part of the Lay of Luthien, which tells of the meeting of Luthien and Berin in the forest of Neldoreth. And behold, there Luthien walked before his eyes in Rivendell, clad in a mantle of silver and blue, fair as the twilight in Elvenholm. Her dark hair strayed in a sudden wind, and her brows were bound with gems like stars. For a moment Aragorn gazed in silence. But fearing she would pass away and never be seen again, he called to her, crying, Tenuviel, Tenuviel, even as Berin had done in the elder days long ago. Then the maiden turned to him and smiled, and she said, Who are you, and why do you call me by that name? And he answered, Because I believed you to be indeed Luthien Tenuviel, of whom I was singing. But if you are not she, then you walk in her likeness. So many have said, she answered gravely, yet her name is not mine, though maybe my doom will not be unlike hers. But who are you? And if you want to continue to read the story of uh, a part of the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, you'll have to look it up. It's in the appendix uh, at the back of The Lord of the Rings. And I know some people you know, didn't like all of the things that Peter Jackson did in the movies of um, conjecture about uh, people and things and little changes, but I loved them. To me, they are two separate works of art representing um, the work not only of J.R. Tolkien, but the worlds of Middle-earth. J.R. Tolkien probably would have never imagined what um, beautiful music would be composed with all these beautiful musical motifs 
for his world of Middle Earth. I, apart from the fact that he might not have liked what Peter Jackson did with the visuals, I can't help but wonder that he might have loved the music that Howard Shore composed for Middle Earth, the elven themes, the themes of the hobbits. And so, uh, yeah, I think he, I think he would have been well pleased. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. We are celebrating a season of love with um, Lent starting today for those of the Christian faith who observe Lent and uh, Sunday being St. Valentine's Day. Today we celebrate love and put an additional amount of stress on our poor male, (laughs) poor male friends and lovers. But uh, I would ask you to consider being gentle, being especially women, be gentle with your loved ones. It's very hard for them already. You know, we are naturally born to, um, I mean, at least most of us, we are more inclined toward, you know, romance and poetry and things. And we have a tendency sometimes to think that our men can read our minds. And because they've lived with us so long, they should know by now that I don't like dark chocolate or, (laughs) or that I don't like yellow flowers, but they don't always. And they're, they're, the motive of their hearts, I, I can assure you, in most cases is just to please you and let you know on this uh, created holiday by Hallmark, pretty much, that uh, you are very special to them. And so I would ask you to be gentle. Coming up in just a few moments, uh, one of my favorite shows, Writers on Writing, with uh, Barbara DeMarco Barrett, Nicole, and Marie. Today, Marie Stone will be here, and uh, she is in the building, and I'm so excited. Um, You can catch podcasts of their shows. You can get practically an MFA in writing by listening to the archives of Writers on Writing. And so I hope you'll check it out sometime again. You can find uh, podcasts on our home site and also through their website, Writers on Writing, or I think it may be uh, Pen on Fire. So with that, I'm going to leave you today with, um, because of course, I feel that one of my great passions in life is that you would awaken to being the beloved and to know that you are loved. And so I want to leave uh, in the show today with a reading not from Middle Earth. And again, all of the copyrighted material will have to be edited out of the podcast, but with a reading from a book called Incandescence. It's 365, 365 readings with women mystics. And these are part of my great army of helpers as I try to um, survive this this. Uh, journey of exile (laughs) here on the great place of earth that we call Arda. First from Catherine of Siena, from her book of letters. Catherine is just one of my most favorite of the women saints and mystics. She says, indescribable blazing love, sweet love, open our memory up for us so we can receive, remember, and grasp the great goodness of God. As much as we understand God's goodness, we'll love. And whenever we love, we find ourselves in union with and transformed by that love. The mother of all virtues is love. 
This love passed through and is always passing through the gate that is Christ crucified. And from Hadwich, in from Poems and Stanzas, she says, Dear hearts, don't let your heavy griefs get you down. You'll blossom soon, I promise you. You'll ride out hard times and make it through all storms. You'll arrive at last at that verdant land where beloved and loved one totally flow into each other. To that end, stay faithful here on earth. And with that, I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite uh, songs. And uh, this is, you can find this on YouTube. It's from the amazing group Casting Crowns. And it's called Who Am I? It's one of my favorite songs to listen to, especially in the season of Lent, the season of love. Please stay tuned. Coming up in just five minutes, Marie Stone with Writers on Writing. Until next week, please go out, spread some love around, take in some love. If you don't have romantic love in your life right now, celebrate that. Celebrate that you're able to focus on all the other ways that love comes to you, through the bird singing, through the, the fresh air and sunshine, maybe a walk on the ocean, through your friends and family, through music, through books. And um, yeah, I hope that you will be able to celebrate that. And so until next week, Galen Salalumin Amintialvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. Again, you can email me at askanelf at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. And until then, Namariel.